You're listening to We, we, we the Aether Podcast, within and without. Welcome. Uh, Paul, thank you for coming on and having this conversation. Uh, I really appreciate it. I'm sure lots of people that are watching and, and listening to this right now are going to appreciate it as well, because uh, if they're not familiar with what you do, uh, you're an author of several books. Uh, I've listened to, I, I say listen to like audiobooks, especially. Uh, you, you narrate many of them. Actually, I think all of them. Is that correct? All of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I love the audiobook, and uh, I'm, I'm caught up to speed up until the latest of the current one. Um, I think I have five hours left on that one. So, I'm, I'm pretty up to speed on all the other ones. But if anyone's not familiar with, with, with your work and some of your, uh, the content and uh, the books you produce, uh, would you mind just sort of reviewing that for, for anyone that's not up to speed? Well, I'm a channel, I'm a conscious channel. So, the books um, that are in print, and there's eight of them now, the ninth is coming out in August, are all the transcripts of channeling sessions. Uh, the last several books were all done in front of live audiences. So, you know, I sit in a chair, I close my eyes, I hear, I repeat what I hear, and then the recordings of those sessions are transcribed and that becomes the book or the books as it were. So that's my job. I'm not really the author. I'm a collaborator in that I'm present for, for the session. I'm channeling and I'm being used. My vocabulary is being used, but I don't claim authorship of the books. Mm. And someone's not familiar with what channeling is. Can you describe that? Let's say for someone that's never even heard of it before. Well, I mean, if you want to think of me as a radio, that's how I describe myself. So I'm a radio. We're all radios, my guide said and we're all sort of tuned in or playing different stations. So when I'm channeling, I'm just tuning the radio that I am to play a broadcast that's present that comes through me. So it's a form of clear audience. People know clairvoyance, which is clear seeing. There's also clairsentience, clear feeling. And then there's what I do, which is clear audience, which is clear hearing or telepathic hearing, if you prefer. I don't really understand it. I didn't ask to do this. I don't quite understand how it works and I possibly never will. But I do know that what I do is I sit in a chair, I close my eyes. I imagine myself climbing into the back seat of a car and turning the wheel over to the guides that I work with. And then I'll hear one phrase repeated incessantly. And then the moment I give that one phrase voice, everything else comes out on top of it. So all of the books, are actually unedited. They're the unedited transcripts of all the sessions. So if you can imagine closing your eyes and speaking eight books aloud, that's kind of the phenomena here. Um, you know, people talk about channeling in different ways. Some people are really speaking about inspiration. I channel my idea. And, you know, inspired ideas are, are high. The difference with channeling is it's just sort of not my word, not my teaching. I'm really just the conduit for it. Mm -hmm. and, and do you have to get yourself any sort of a meditative state or anything like that for it to go through, or do you have to have any preparation, or does it just come naturally at a certain point? It's at a turn. Well, I mean, yeah, it's really no different than turning a radio dial. So you can be listening to one station and you go click, and then there's a whole other station that can be played. So, you know, what I'm doing is I'm moving my consciousness aside or moving it to the back, allowing it to receive and allowing this thing to come forward. I have friends that, you know, have wonderful, you know, preparation that they do before they work. Um, that's not how I work. And I find it 
odd. I mean, I've, I've, you know, my job is to show up for this work often when I don't want to, and very often I don't want to. And I've, you know, dictated chunks of books and lectures before many, many people like, you know, in the worst, on the worst day of the year, you know, right after putting my dog to sleep, I had a channel and kaboom. So the, the transmission doesn't seem to be impacted by me, by what's going on with me. It's operating independent. Um, so if you think of the radio, I mean, the radio is not the broadcast. It's the vehicle for the broadcast. And that's my job. Mm -hmm. And I, I know we spoke about this before in the previous uh, discussion we had almost a year back now. Uh, on a previous episode, if, if anyone wants to listen to that or watch that, it'll be in the description of, of this episode. Um, I know you touched on this, but how did you initially get into this? Was it something that sort of spontaneously started happening for you, or was it something that sort of gradually happened over time? Well, it's both, really. Um, I was raised sort of an atheist. I, you know, didn't have a spiritual life. I didn't know really why one would want one. But when I was 25, I hit a real wall and I began to look for something more. And I found myself on a spiritual path. I mean, I started praying for the first time in my life and then I heard a voice telling me to get my act together. And I actually listened to it. And I started opening up psychically shortly thereafter. I started seeing little lights around people. I'd had an experience with energy that people later said sounded like a spontaneous Kundalini awakening. I don't know what it was. I just might've been hyperventilating, but all this energy sort of pushing up from my base out through the top of my head. When I was trying to teach myself to meditate, um, that's when that happened. But I ended up studying a form of energy healing. Um, and I was volunteering at a center that was providing services for people with life-challenging illness. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic in New York. I was maybe 30, 30, 31 or something at that point. And I found that when I had my hands on people's bodies, I began to hear things for them. It was that simple. If I had my hands on your chest and I heard the name Alice, I learned to say, who's Alice? And you'd say, my mother, my girlfriend, my dog, whatever. And you know, with that would come a large release of energy. And so as I kept getting confirmation for what I was hearing, I began to trust it more. And I started doing a little group that met in my apartment. And I wanted to do the group to do energy work. And in fact, wanting to do the work of, of my teacher at the time. And the very first session, I started hearing things for the group. So I began channeling in that group. And that group met for about 18 years, you know, in my living room in New York City. Sometimes there were three or four people, sometimes 20. I certainly wasn't looking to make a name for myself doing this. I was teaching at NYU for 25 years during all of this. And I had another life that I was fond of and protective of. So I didn't want to be known as a channeler. Um, but as I continued to do it, I began to develop. And when I was 48, so that's a long time into this, I quit smoking after many years of being a heavy smoker. And the moment I did that, everything shifted in my whole system. And the guides I work with started to lecture through me. And once they started to lecture through me, and once I became willing to record it and transcribe it, which I really didn't want to do, but I was told by another medium, you need to do this, um, they delivered a whole book, the first of what is now you know, nine books. Um, and that was unexpected. I didn't plan on that. You know, I was, I was working 
you know, I was out trying to be a playwright still in those days. And I was let go of a writing project and I just went to bed, you know, which is what one does when one, you know, gets fired from something. And a friend of mine called me and said, Paul, this might be a good time to write that memoir about how you became clear audience. And I said, well, I don't really want to do anything. And the guides piped in and said, well, we have a book to write. And if you take two weeks, we'll do it. And at that moment, you know, my ego had just been leveled, you know, quashed. I didn't really care what people thought. And I suddenly had time on my hands that I wasn't expecting. So I agreed. And the guides delivered the first book, which was called I Am the Word, over the course of two and a half weeks. And I think it would have been two weeks, except I took two days off to go teach at NYU. Um, and that was the book. And there was no editing. And the guides said, it'll be the first publisher, don't haggle. And it was never even submitted. The first publisher who, who read the book, um, he picked it up at a conference at the Essel Institute, where I had been invited to channel before, you know, a group of scientists and scholars and, um, and he published it. And then that was that. So they just keep coming truthfully. You know, I'm, I'm kind of rolling my eyes some days because it's a pretty much about a book a year now. And I just agree to do three more, which I expect may be the last trilogy that would be four. Um, but the guides clearly have a lot to say. And as long as I'm willing to sit there in the chair and take the dictation, they seem to be happy to teach. And people seem to be benefiting from what they have to say. Mm -hmm. And that information seems to come through you quite naturally. I mean, that's how you're getting a lot, so much done. So when you book done in such a short time frame, it's pretty ridiculous, actually. Well, um, about what it takes to really write a book, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's work. I'm sitting in a chair reciting something yeah. that I'm hearing, and then I don't have to go back and edit it. You know, uh -huh. I, in any book, there's about three words changed, and that's because I mispronounced them. I was speaking so fast at times that I, I, I overstepped a word. There was a word in the last book that came out called alchemy that I refused to speak because I didn't think it was a real word. And the guides were using this word. And they said, it's in the book. They said, you know, we're saying a word, Paul's refusing to repeat it. And I mean, they, they had some humor about it. And as soon as the, uh, the channeling was over, this was at the Esalen Institute, there were like 50 people in the room. And I said, the word is penumbra. And yes. I didn't know what penumbra meant. Everybody got uh, their phones out and looked up penumbra. And it was the light that shines from behind a cloud. It was the perfect word okay. to yeah. what they were talking about. But I, it wasn't a word I knew. So yeah. I didn't give it voice. But, you know, for the most part, that's it. As it comes out of my mouth is, is what's on the page for better and for worse, including, you know, occasionally, occasional tense disagreements and things like that. But it's a... It's a script. It's a verbal dictation that's transcribed. Nobody's, it's not like crafting a book where you get to go back and fix everything that you don't like. That would be much different and I think much harder. Yeah, I'm really enjoying, um, I think your series of books is, is amazing. Um, and I've started listening to, I believe it's called The Book of Raw, or, or Raw, and then it's Law of One. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a, a channel. Uh, a very, very similar format, very similar fashion. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I've been enjoying that as well. Um, and even going back to uh, Jane Roberts, uh, she had uh, written a book uh, called The Seth Book or Seth Material, something to that, to that extent. Um, and I enjoyed that. And it seems that material tends to, to I'm drawn to it. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And I'm really you know interested in the whole process of it. Uh, for the reason you describe is that it, it just 
was out naturally and there's not really much editing involved you would be with a, a typical book uh-huh. um so you've been doing this now for quite some time actually and the next book is coming out in, in august of 2021 is that correct mm-hmm. and what the premise around that book like the just the just basic summary of well, you know, the funny thing is I haven't read it. I dictated it. I, it was all done on Maui, which is where I'm living now. And, um, you know, I was on a deadline. I'd agreed to this and I had done all of my groups traveling, you know, in front of audiences. And here I had a convener group, you know, uh, virtually because I can't channel what there's not, what there's not an active listener or a group of people, you know, the guys are teaching and they need a student or a listener. So <clears throat> that book was channeled probably over the course of a couple of months, maybe two and a half, you know, every time I did a group or could convene the special group that I had assembled to be the audience for the teaching. And then I gave the tapes to the transcriptionist um, and I didn't read them this time. I just, you know, I was so overloaded between, you know, being so displaced in my life and, and all of the channeling. So I just got, <laughs> I got the, I got the book the manuscript from the publisher in my, in my email box yesterday. And I'm like, okay, oh, wow. really read it wow. and see what I think. But my recollection of what that book is, they call it the kingdom. And it's really about aligning to a level of consciousness. They, the guides call the kingdom, you know, uh, the what's their definition? It's like the realization of, of the divine in all things. You know, God is all things, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, And they're teaching us how to maintain a level of consciousness where we can align to that, where we're operating really from our knowing, which is our true state of consciousness. Um, And, you know, and and we're manifesting from that place, which is rather different than I think how people like to conjure, you know, from, from this level of agreement that we share. So the guides say, you know, they're taking us to an octave above the one that we're used to. They don't talk about dimensions. They talk about octaves of music. They say everything is in tone and in vibration. And so the kingdom is the octave above the one that we have known. And the realization of self there, they say, is embodiment. Embodiment as the true self, the authentic self, not the self that, you know, sort of self-identifies through a narrative of pain or cultural appropriation and all of those things. And if you can hear this, I'm in the rainforest and now it's raining. It's really quite something, but I think we'll keep power. Hmm. So this, this sense of knowing, I mean, why do you think it is that a lot of people operate from this, this, this sense of knowing, or even you could say sense of being in a way. I mean, I, I personally have difficulty myself with, Sometimes I, it's always when I come out of a meditation or like a tank session or something like that, great. And then after a few days, it sort of dissipates after I start checking so many emails and I start checking my phone and all this stuff sort of, you know, comes in. And then all of a sudden I lose that sense of knowing I sort of step away from it. I mean, especially now with everything going on, I mean, what, what's your take on how people are, are not in this, in this knowing Well, I don't think that we understand that that's something that we have capacity for. I mean, the guides I work with say you can't make yourself know, you know, you can't force knowing, but you can align to it and you're aligning to the aspect of self who does know, which they say is the true self. And that's actually called their cognizance 
or clear knowing. So when I read for people, for example, and that's how I, you know, what I do, I, I have a practice now as a psychic and they call me a medium for the living. So I tune into people and you might say, I'm estranged from my sister and you give me your sister's name and I can sort of step in energetically to your sister and hear her. And I just know, there's no way I've never met your sister. I don't know what she looks like. I might start to resemble her and, you know, talk about her frustration with your relationship. You understand that? So the knowing is actually bypassing thinking. And the guides say, when you think, when you think you don't know, you know, and when you know, you're not thinking. And the guides have also said that when one, one is in one's knowing, one is never afraid. And that's one of the indications that it's the true self. And, you know, the example might be, you know, even if you get like bad news, like a bad medical diagnosis or something, that's not what's scary. You know, there's no fear there. The fear is what happens next. Is it going to hurt? Am I going to live? All those things. So, you know, knowing they say happens in the present moment. And my suspicion is you're coming out of meditation. You're quite present. And you're not sort of operating, you know, in your ideas of what should be in past and future. And that's what's giving you that ability. Yeah, when I come out of a meditation, for instance, I mean, specifically, I'm, I've been doing these float tank sessions every, every Sunday. Uh, and when I come out of those, um, it's, it's like I, I'm, I don't think, all I really, I'm just so grateful being alive and having life and being able to have any experience like whatever it may be like breathing it's like every i'm so grateful for every little thing and then that just i feel like that is that sense of knowing and that is that same place that like it's filled with gratitude and love and and it's so comfortable with just being anywhere in the universe at all it's, you know it's just i'm not there's no of anything it's just this crazy feeling so it is like it slowly slips away as i start to get through my work week i'm sure a lot of people feel that way um what what is your thoughts on everything that's happening now i mean in 2020 and then into 2021 with you know the whole covid thing with everything that's going on it almost feels I, I, like the, the guides have spoken about it you know and i don't remember what they said and i'd have to go into channel now and my opinion is just my opinion you know, mm -hmm. and that's not what my work is about. Um, I think it's all potentially to be seen as great opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, the guides have been talking about this stuff for years. Um, in the last three or four books, they talked about how humanity was about to, you know, encounter radical change, including radical change of political and economic and religious systems. And, you know, everything that we thought would be there always is suddenly going to be up for up for discussion, you know, and this becomes an opportunity. Um, they said, and this was in the Book of Truth, which was dictated right before, I guess, the, the election where, where Trump was elected in the US as president. They said, you know, what you're about to go into is a period where everything is going to be sort of exposed or dug up and none of it's pretty. And this is internally as well. You know, the guides often say you can't, you know, if you, if you have a body buried in the basement, eventually it's going to stink up the whole house. And that they said, imagine that your backyard is under excavation and things that were buried two weeks ago are coming up and 5,000 years ago as well. And it's going to look like a mess. And they said, you know, the reason for this 
isn't so you can point fingers and say, oh, how terrible and how wrong and, and you know, blame. It's because everything that's been buried needs to be seen and brought to the light in order to be transformed. We can't heal anything that we're attempting to suppress or hide. I mean, that's what people call, I guess, spiritual bypassing. And so, you know, all of these things can be seen as great opportunities for change, but change is rarely comfortable. Um, so, you know, I think we're in the throes of it. I don't think we're seeing the end of it. Um, you know, COVID, I'm a New Yorker. You know, I lived in New York my entire life. And I was in Costa Rica doing a workshop when New York City shut down. And I was unable to go home. And I had actually just rented an apartment that I was supposed to move into the next week. And I ended up, a friend of mine found me a little tiny house to stay in, you know, on Maui. And I had no place to go. And I came. And I actually found a life here, which astonished me, you know, which was far better for me than I think the one that I was living. And now I, I've moved here for real. I never spent a night in that apartment in New York, my dream apartment. I never spent a night there. It's so funny. I was happy in my little tiny house. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a fascinating experience of being thrown out of certainty, you know, and I was fortunate I could be able to work through this. Many people weren't, you know, and were challenged in other ways. But, you know, I was moved out of my comfort zone and every, every level. And it's what I needed, I suspect, to go to another level of understanding of of how my life might be lived. Mm, and I think that sort of summarizes the way a lot of people might feel that that's sort of what was needed. I mean, I've, I've spoken with some people that have asked like my thoughts on, on all that's sort of transpiring and I feel happening as it is, as it should be. And, you know, as uncomfortable as it may be, I think it's going to lead to this greater evolution uh, of how people do things, of how people interact, um, of skills being lifted in a lot of ways as well too because as you said your your was it the stinky dead body in the basement it's uh revealed in a lot of ways well i think the stuff that isn't working gets revealed you know i I read for people you know it's my i have a practice and you know i can't tell you how many people who've been living lives of, of sort of certainty you know are suddenly questioning their life choices and why they're living the way they're living. And, and in some ways, we only do that when things fail. You know, when I um, started having my, the beginnings of an awakening, I can't, I don't say that I'm awake, but when I was 25, I was a year out of grad school at Yale. I was getting produced in New York and London, and I had, you know, getting my, my picture in an in interview magazine, which was like the hot place to be in the day with my platinum blonde Billy Idol hair. And I was getting everything that I thought I was supposed to get and want. And I was a train wreck and I was deeply unhappy, you know, although I didn't know it. And, um, you know, my life got shifted. You know, I ended up on a totally different path than one I ever would have thought I would have chosen. I mean, when I look at my life today, it still makes no sense. It's easier for me to say I'm a college teacher than to say I'm a channel, although I'm established in this work. But, you know, Jane um, Roberts, who you mentioned, was a poet. And the woman who channeled A Course in Miracles was an academic. And most of us are doing something. This is not what I thought I'd be doing. I didn't even necessarily believe in it. You know, I understand it because it happens 
There's a quote um, attributed to Helen Shookman who channeled Chorus and Miracles. And I, I believe she said, I don't believe it, but I know it's true. And that feels really right to me. So, you know, occasionally life just throws us a curveball, and I think we all got a big one, and a bunch of them actually. And I think we're all still reeling from this, but perhaps, you know, perhaps more will be revealed. And perhaps mm -hmm. it'll be good to come. That's my hope. Mm -hmm. When you said, uh, when you just said that, um, she doesn't believe it, but knows it to be true. It almost feels like belief comes from the mind, and knowing comes from the heart. I suppose it knowing just more grounded, I guess you could say. I mean, the two points are in union, but yeah. it seems like belief really is coming from the mind. It almost feels like it's being analyzed a bit too much, being thought through too much rather than being thought out, if you know what I mean. Does that make yeah. sense? I mean, it does make sense. This is what I think. I mean, when I know something, when I am in my knowing, there is never a question. So if you try this for a minute, just close your eyes mm. and Think of a time in your life when you knew something. I knew I was in love. I knew the relationship was over. I knew I got the job. I knew this wasn't for me. Just anything. I remember what that felt like to know. And now go to thinking. I think I know what I'm having for dinner tomorrow night. I think I know how long I'm going to live. Oh, it's scattered. It's scattered as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> All yeah. over the place. Yeah. Because, well, when, you, when you're thinking, there's always a question attached. When you know. Oh. When you're knowing, there's not. You simply know. And mm -hmm. you can say that's the heart. I think that probably is quite accurate. But it's not sort of based in all of the sort of mechanisms and logic of history, you know, of how we piece our lives together through a narrative of, of history. You know, the guides say that I work with say that the small self, which is really just a personality structure, there's nothing wrong with it. We all have it, um, but knows itself through history. And the true self doesn't. The true self is actually beyond linear time, you know, beyond gender, beyond all those things, the eternal self. That's who you're tapping into. You can call it the soul. I think it's probably something a bit other than that, but that's a way for some people to understand it. But I believe that the true self or the divine self is the aspect of the creator that seeks to realize itself as and through us at the cost of all the bullshit of who we think we are, you know, which is or should be based on, you know, the fashion of the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I find that this sort of the, the self, like it accumulates itself, you said, through experience, through history, it almost happens even through, you know, your parents and your upbringing. I mean, it all comes together. And now we have social media accounts and these profiles with these descriptions, and we have our social selves, whatever you want to call it. So it, it really does seem like like a false self in a way because when I when I've had meditative sessions where I've almost left that self, the physical body, I I almost see this body from that perspective as like a vessel or, or like a container, and it it's almost like a complete detachment in a way from from that from this body. Um, not like it doesn't care for it. I mean, it appreciates it. It really loves it. It seems to love everything. But um, we put this, this body and this self such a high pedestal. We completely like forget that other self exists in the background at all times. 
how do you feel people can connect more with with that that self and the awareness let's call it that's always present you know i mean i don't know that i could channel on your show today i mean i just like i was i was i had clients all day i'm a little shot um because what i think is what i think and i would just say ask ask to know ask to be taught you know, I think those questions get answered. My guides might say something different. I'm going to tune in. I'm just going to say this. If I do tune into the guides, I whisper the words and repeat them. So it sounds what, like what it is, but the idea of who you are. The guides are saying the idea of who you are, the small self, the small self must be known, must be known as an aspect of who you are, as an aspect of who you are, but not the entirety, but not the entirety when you can broach that idea. When you can broach that idea, there is more to me than who I think I'm, there is more to me than who I think I am, you can begin to address the aspect of self. You can begin to address the aspect of self who knows, who knows, who realizes, who realize who the kingdom and who can claim the kingdom. The kingdom, as we say, the kingdom, as we say, is a source, is the realization of source God, if you wish, God, if you wish, in all manifestation, in all manifestation. The small self cannot do this. The small self cannot do this. It's threatening to him or her. It's threatening to him or her. She wants to run the show. She wants to run the show. She can't imagine it would run it better. She can't imagine that anybody would run it better when you understand that the who that you are. When you understand that the who that you are, be it the true self, be it the true self or small self, or small self is the director, is the direct, you will understand that you can move. You will understand that you can move to a new way of being, to a new way of being, to align to the true self. To align to the true self is a choice, is a choice. You have free will. You have free will if you wish to utilize the will in this way. If you wish to utilize the will in this way, you will be met by God. You will be met by God or the divine or whatever you wish to call it, or the divine or whatever you wish to call it in the perfect ways required for your growth, in the perfect ways required for your growth. You don't have to hammer the door down. You don't have to hammer the door down. You have to say welcome. You have to say welcome and allow it in and allow it in, period. Or same period. Mm -hmm. It seems like transition would happen almost immediately. Like, I, I'm not sure it, it's, it's, it's letting, letting that guard down and, and letting that self come through. I mean, that, that's what it's like for me anyways. Um, but it's weird that the guard is always up so frequently and so often, and that becomes a natural thing, you know, to not, to not rest and, and just like rest and relax and take it easy and, and, and allow, allow yourself to be, to be greeted with God or to God, I guess you could say. Interesting. I want I want to ask you something, and maybe maybe the guys would have an opinion of this. But I had um, a thought after coming out of my last float session, and it was that I I should learn and know all the names or aspects of God because yeah, I don't quite know them too much. And then uh, my wife, and so that would be like you know a Yahweh or um, um, I'm trying to think of you know you could say Jesus or, or Buddha or anything like that too, but um, or Elohim, um, but my wife afterwards, she said, well, wouldn't that just be then to know all the names or aspects of, of yourself, to then know yourself? She almost, and, and I took this when she was saying it to me as, oh, is that what, what, what a message that I had coming out of the meditation? And is it the mind that was just trying to know all these names and all this stuff, but at the end of the day, it's just to know the self and all the aspects of self in, in that way. Does that, does that make any sense whatsoever? I mean, I think, I think potentially, I'm not quite tracking it. I think um, there are many ways that people identify source or, 
or different aspects of source. I'm sitting in front of a statue right now of Hanuman with five different faces. And I don't mm -hmm. even understand you know, what this fully means, but there are different aspects of the divine that can be realized and known. So, you know, I honestly don't know that God or whatever God is cares what we call it. Right? Mm -hmm. it can't be that small. But I think that there are different different aspects of the divine that can be honored and can be aligned to. Again, radio stations that can be aligned to and played that mm -hmm. can bring us benefit. So, you know, I was raised an atheist. I was raised to believe that stupid people believed in God or a higher power. And when I was really, I mean, it's one of these classic sort of textbook conversion stories. You know, I was in a hotel room in St. Paul, I was 25 years old. I didn't know where to find drugs in St. Paul. The, the Gideons leave Bibles in drawers in hotels like that. And I, I hope that it said prayer for people in crisis. And I didn't know what the crisis was. You know, as far as everybody thought things were going well for me, but you know, I said it and I actually meant it. And I didn't know what I was even asking for. And then three days later, I woke up and I asked myself what I could do for myself that day that was positive. And I heard a voice when I asked. And you know, the voice comes still when I ask. And I don't get intruded upon with this work. You know, I don't trust people that said my guides are telling me to tell everybody so and so. I, I go, wait a minute, you know, my guides aren't quite that bossy. You know, mm. they respect free will. I often say they'd let me walk into traffic, but if I ask if it's a good time to cross the street they're more than happy to say not wise. And when they say not wise, that means I still have choice, but they wouldn't recommend it. You understand? So my experience of source or whatever it is, however limited, and you may have a far more advanced spiritual life than I ever will. I just have this odd ability. It's like being able to, to touch your nose to your tongue. Some people can do it. You know, Some people can cross their eyes. Some people, you know, whatever. Um, this is how I'm built, you know, for this kind of work, it seems, and I show up for it. But my understanding of, of God is only as good as my experience of it. I don't know, you can, I don't even know if you can take it into the next day, you know, except the memory or the idea of it. So I, is your wife right? Probably, you know, um, does, you know, is God all things? I mean, the guides I work with, you know, talk about, you know, God as the body, God as the tree, God as the sky, the source of all things. They say there's one note being played in the universe, one tone that is in manifestation as all things. Everything seen is, is an articulation of that sound, which they call the word, you know, which is again, you know, it's a biblical thing, but I think they're speaking in metaphor that there is the action of the divine, which plays out as all manifestation. I suppose that means all gods too. I don't know. Mm -hmm. When I came out of, um, I think I had, it was like a DMT trip at one time. And, uh, and that, that the word, it stood out to me. And, uh, and that one song, mm -hmm. that sort of idea or notion really stood out to me as well. Um, I just, uh, I, I experiment with psychedelics. I'm, I, have you had, had any experiences with psychedelics at all? When I was in high school and the crappy stuff, when I was, you know, trying to be a garbage head, but no, 
And it's really because I quit doing everything when I was 25. Mm. And it's not that I put plant medicine in the same category as, as recreational drugs. I certainly don't. But for me, it's a door that I kept closed. Um, and one day I may choose to explore that again, but I haven't. And part of the reason I haven't is I sort of don't know how I'm wired to do what I do. I mean, it took a long time to get my system developed to the level that it seems to be where I can just close my eyes and dictate a book. Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, so I'm, I'm conscious. When I ask my guidance about it, I basically hear not wise, but that's for me, you know, not wise for my system or perhaps my history of, you know, addiction or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. but that's for me. So I have, I have no opposition to it except you know, I get concerned sometimes that people are trying to to have great big experiences and not quite knowing how to integrate them. And I think the integration is as important as anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as yeah. Spiritual experience. Yeah, integration is, is really key in the whole process. And I find that some people, I mean, I, I know quite a few people just like that. Um, yeah, especially before all the COVID stuff happened, they were going away and doing the ayahuasca, doing the ceremonies, coming back, but not really applying much of what, you know, what they learned from that experience and then just going back and doing the whole same thing. And it almost became like a cycle the whole, the whole process. Um, but anyways, I, I wanted to ask you as well, um, the, the three books you have coming up, so you mentioned that there was no real plan for that. When were you sort of been the instruction that there would be three three books coming up outside outside of that one we discussed the kingdom during the last book during during the last book they said that there would be more was that alchemy then last book no, the last book is the one that's not out yet so it was oh, okay okay the kingdom. okay during the dictation of the kingdom they started saying we'll, we'll discuss this in future books and then i went okay there's more books and i was glad there were more books you know i um you know, for me, it's sort of laid out the next few years for me, like, okay, there are going to be these things, which means I'm going to have to keep working and showing up. Um, and that gives me a little bit of structure. You know, I had a life for many, many years where I set my body clock by the academic calendar when Christmas break was, when summer break was, you know, all those things. And, um, and I'm grateful for the discipline that this work brings to me. You know, it's one of the areas of my, the few areas of my life where I'm very disciplined is as I show up for this stuff. I'm also really curious as to what they have to say. And I, I don't know if there comes a day when they say, thank you, that's all, see you later, next lifetime. And I go, okay, well, that was yeah. that. Um, but it hasn't happened yet. And I enjoy the channeling still. I'm fascinated by it. And I think it's because I don't really understand it, you know, and I'm curious. I, I want to know where it goes and how it ends. That's all. Mm -hmm. And now you, you are a medium for a lot of people. Have you ever had someone be a medium for you or, or perform a reading on you? Oh yeah. I love it. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. What was, what was the last interesting like takeaway from your, from your last reading? My last interesting one. Oh my goodness. Well, that was this morning I trade with somebody and I, I love her dearly, my friend Laura Day. And, um, you know, she was, I, she was reading me the riot act basically about how I'm still not willing to be fearless in my life in ways that I can and am capable of. 
Um, I had a friend who passed away in October, Jeanette Meek, who was a mentor for me for years. We spoke almost every night online for, for many, many years. She was an elderly lady and she was a good old fashioned, old time medium, blue collar gal from East Providence, Rhode Island. And she had the biggest heart I've ever known on anybody. And, um, and you know, I've, I've benefited greatly from people. And some of the best mediums, truthfully, are not known. You know, they're not celebrity mediums. They're mm-hmm. in people. I have a friend who I think is terrific, who works in a law firm. He used to do readings professionally. He doesn't want to anymore. He wants his pension. I go, fine, that's fine. You can have it. So, you know, I, I have a certain skill set. Most psychics that I know don't read well for themselves. And we don't read well for ourselves because we have an, invo- an emotional investment in the outcome. So God forbid I like somebody or I've got a thing for somebody and I'm going, is it going to work out? I'm not the best person to read on that because I have an investment in the outcome. The guides I work with once in a while, I mean, they're very good with me in the moment because they're very big on me not taking actions in fear. So I get a lot of counsel for the moment. But once in a while, they'll say something to me like, by the way, you're getting a, a TV thing next tomorrow. And then I'll get the email. I'll go, oh, that was fun. They gave, but you know, they didn't give me, and they, if they'd given me three days before, I would have obsessed about it, you know, or worried it away. So, you know, that's sort of the equivalent of what I can do. But I'm very good with other people. You see, if you ask me about your marriage, I'm completely neutral to that outcome. So I can tune into you. I can tune into your spouse. I can feel the dynamic. And that's a lot of the work I do with people. You know, I'm, if you think of me as the switchboard, you know, I'm tuning into your higher selves and your personality selves and what you're not saying that you need to say. And, and you know, going back and forth between the two, which is like switching the radio stations. And I find that really interesting. And I find it interesting because it's a lot of this stuff is provable. You know, it's not like I'm trying to get your, your you know, dead Aunt Mary, you know. Um, you know, if I'm tuning into your wife's boss, you know, and I'm tuning into the dynamic of her job and how that's affecting marriage, you know, that stuff can be, you can go check, check, check. And I like that. It helps me to trust the channel stuff that comes through as well. So yes, I get readings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just wondering, and, and you know, if, if it's weird for you, just but I, it seems like you get them pretty often. And I suppose just because you would know a lot of people that are that are in that space, and they just naturally inclined to even. I'd imagine that even if they're speaking to you, they'd be like, "Paul, something's coming through right now, and I need to tell you about this, or whatever it may be." Does, does that ever happen? No, I mean, honestly, I have some friends that that work that way. Okay, I've learned over the years, and this is for me that if I get something for you, it's not necessarily my place to tell you. You It's not none of my business. So, you know, when I was newer at this and younger with this and I wanted validation from other people and I wanted them to think I was special and all that stuff that fortunately you kind of outgrow, that was more important. If I have a friend that I read for on a regular basis, Um, I will do that. But mostly I'm just reading for my clients. It doesn't occur to me. It wouldn't occur to me to tune into you unless you asked. It wouldn't tune in or or any of my friends. 
you know, but if they say, hey, Paul, can you look at this? I've got a job interview or, hey, Paul, can you look at this? I'm really confused about this relationship. I can go there and I'm happy to. The only time I tune into my friends, I just said this to someone the other day, is like, if I'm getting like, if I'm getting stood up at a restaurant or something, I want to know if I'm getting stood up or if the person's stuck in traffic. So I'll tune into them and see what's really going on. But other than that, it's none of my business. Mm -hmm. Does that have to do with impacting anyone's free will by any chance, like giving them different information in that way? You know, I've done it. I, I just said I've done it and I've gotten called out on it. You know, like, Paul, I wish you hadn't told me that. I didn't ask. And I was like, whoa, you know, and this was, this was in my younger days when I was opening up and I was excited. I once had somebody who was a very good medium. <laughs> I was in the bathroom, I get this text. And this is, I was on tour, you know, and it said, well, who's, the, who's the blonde guy? Who's the blonde sociopath with the beard? Be careful. And I went, oh my God, next two years, I didn't talk to any blondes, you know, no beard uh -huh. blondes. I didn't want to know, you know. Yeah. So that didn't help me at all. That was just, you know, I'm so, that's my, how I do my work. Other people are very different and everybody's got their own style. Um, I try not to offer unless asked. That's my, how I work. I don't mind tuning into anybody that somebody asks about you know, I'm working at a higher level. I'm not, you know, overriding anybody. I'm just tuning into the aspect of them that is present that can be heard. But, um, you know, I wouldn't go there if I wasn't being asked to. Mm. And, and do you find it's easier for you to do it in person with someone or digitally online, like on Zoom or Skype or anything? You know, I miss having an office. I had an office in New York City and I miss seeing people, you know, face to face. But only that's because so much of my work is, is on the phone, you know, and, and now all of it's on the phone and on Skype and Zoom and all that stuff. And it doesn't make a difference. You know, I actually find that sometimes back in the days when I used to read for people and I would just see their screen name, that was really interesting because I had no information. I didn't know the gender and we typing stuff to each other, you know. Um, I found it a really clean way to work, you know. I mean, I... I made errors too. I remember once reading for this very beautiful, beautiful woman and she was dating, I knew she was dating a friend of mine who referred her, another client who dated supermodels and stuff. So I figured, okay, she must be a supermodel. And this woman had this beautiful long neck, you know? And during the reading, I kept seeing Audrey Hepburn, the actress in her older years, feeding starving children in Africa, which is what she did. She was a philanthropist and she worked for organizations. But I just had decided that this woman must be a model. And by the end, at the end of the session, I said, by the way, what do you do for a living? She said, oh, I feed starving children. <laughs> I said, okay, great. They were yeah. really telling me what it was, but my visual interpretation uh -huh. was telling me what I should think. You know, uh -huh. nothing to do with the truth. So I, I learned that visual stuff can be misleading. So I try not to take the cues there at all if I can help it. Yeah, that's really interesting that you used to do it just with usernames. Like, uh, yeah, no information whatsoever, just the most random username that someone would have and yeah. being able to tune in. When I was first teaching myself to read, yeah, that was one of the ways I worked. Uh -huh. And how, long, how many years ago was that? That period probably was the psychic. When I, that was when I was, this, I was channeling. I wasn't doing psychic at that point, maybe 15 years ago or okay. so. 
Um, there were other things that I knew I could do, but I hadn't worked. It's a long, long, long story that I'm gonna spare you, but I wanted to find out if I could work with a group and work psychically. And one of the ways to try that was to create a space online where I would really get trained. And I did, you know, I did it for a little while. And um, it gave me a whole bunch of confidence because I was accurate and that was what was helpful. Well, well really interesting stuff. I am, I'm totally fascinated by it. Um, Thank you for taking this time for, for having this conversation. I, I really do appreciate it. And, and I'll, I'll be sure to put all your information, all the new books and everything as they come out, all up to the description of this episode. Um, if people do want to reach out to you to, you know, book a one-on-one or, or, or a reading or anything like that, how would they do so? What's the best way? It's through my website, which is just paulselig.com. That's how, you know, people can find me. And is it something you're doing now, like a... So I, I still do privates. I do them, but there it's it's usually there's a there's there's it's a big wait. You know, we we just open up you know sessions periodically. Um, a lot of what I do are the live the live streams and the the, the intensive workshops which are channeled. I do about one of those a month, a five day workshop every month. Okay, that's what I was wondering too. So that's where someone can um, join a group, and then you're doing like a group Zoom. Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the guides are teaching and they're teaching online. It's their mm. workshop. I just know the title. They take questions there too, or I will do some of the psychic work there too. So it's a, it's, it's a way to ask questions of me or the guides, you know, in that context. And I do every, every, pretty much every Wednesday night, I'm lecturing and taking questions as well. But all that information's up on the website. Okay. Now, I just want one last question. Do you, when you're, when you're doing all this, do you find that I know you mentioned earlier when, when you were asking the, the guy some questions, I mean, do you find that energetically it can drain you if you're doing a lot of readings and a lot of that work all day long? Like you get a lot of R&R time for yourself outside of that. You know, I'm working a lot now. Um, I, you know, for me to do four readings a day, I'm pretty toasted afterwards. And that's about what I've been doing a day. But, you know, I also just, got a house and I'm, you know, there's construction going on. So I'm just being, I'm just in massive confusion all over the place. So who knows mm-hmm. I'm tired right now. But yeah, it takes its toll. But you know, I'm living in a beautiful place in a beautiful part of the country. And I know that's a, that's, that is a beautiful place. That is a very beautiful place. Well, congratulations on, on that as well, because I know it was unexpected, but it seems like it meant to be and, and you're loving it. And I mean, that's really great to see. I, I, actually, a, a mentor of mine, Ramdas, um, was in Hawaii as well. So, um, oh, five minutes away or so from. Oh, from wow. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm, I'm actually working with now um, Love Server Member Foundation as an ambassador to help, like, you know, the whole you know, community and everything. So it's, it's great. I'm doing a benefit for Hanuman Maui, which is. You know, oh, cool which is in March. And that's actually up on my website too. Oh, so, nice. Very nice. You know, okay. Perfect. That we're trying to raise money for, for the satsang there. Wow. Okay. Didn't know that. Well, uh, I'll be sure to try and uh, help out as well. And I'll, I'll grab all those links and everything. Um, well, thank you again for having this conversation. I, I love that we, you know, can touch things every, every once in a while. And it's really, it's really great, especially after I listen to the audio book and then, you know, to catch up like this is really wonderful. I do appreciate it. Um, thank you again and um, we'll talk soon